welcome to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. Great to have the opportunity to start this new series called More Than Me. And um, <clears throat> it's a subject that I'm really passionate about. So <laughs> when you've got 25 minutes and you're passionate about a subject, you could just do the introduction in 25 minutes. You know what I mean? So... Um, so I'll try and stick to my 25 minutes and, um, uh, uh, and, and be really good. Uh, I think it's, uh, we've had a very clear introduction as to what we're doing. Vanessa's uh, sort of um, in, in introduced the series really, really well. What we're going to do in the next few weeks is explore this whole theme of more than me. And uh, so what does it mean for us to be connected to a sense of the life of God that is beyond that which we carry or have in our own lives individually um, and, uh, and so what does it mean to share in the corporate life of God and that really does uh, it, it swims in the opposite direction of the prevailing ideas that exist in our world today which is larger I'm sure you'd agree built around I me my so very much we live in a world that centers its ideology or its thinking around the individual and the sense of being uh, collectivity or common life is um, greatly demeaned in the way that our world thinks currently. And so I'm going to be talking a little bit. I'm going to give you an introduction this morning. And, um, and for some, it might feel a little bit technical. It feels a little bit more like I'm going to do a mini lecture than preach. But what I want to try and do is set the context for this series where we're going to open up the Bible and talk about, primarily talk about, uh, what it means to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. What it means to exist in a community with a common life. And, and, and so what I think, hopefully, what we'll do during this series is explore those possibilities, but also that will then challenge our current way of thinking. Is that okay? In many ways, what we find post-COVID is that, that, that the, the world of individualism has been empowered by some of the things we've had to do during this period of time, hasn't it? Lockdown and isolation has the potential of empowering the prevailing mindset that exists in our world, which is individualism, it's me and my. I'm not advocating, as you would imagine, for any moment that we shouldn't isolate. If we need to isolate, that's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that if you do something for a long enough period of time, it, in, it empowers and embeds ways of thinking and behaving that possibly are a huge challenge for us in the future. I'd even describe this this morning as a battle. We're, 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 we're in a battle for a life beyond the one that we live individually. We've lost, in many ways, a sense of a collective identity. Not just us, not just I'm not talking about Dudley. I'm talking about us as humankind. And so um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to primarily use some slides. And, uh, and I'm going to talk from these slides in order to help you to sort of catch what I'm going to say this morning. So if we take that whole idea of the fact that primarily um, this is a battle. It's a battle to dis- rediscover what it means to hold a common life together then, you know, maybe we can start with that whole thought of um, a battle. So if I could have my next slide. So I want to suggest to you today that the primary battle that we face, mankind, humankind always faces, 
is what I've called big ideas. There's some fancy names attached to this, like meta-narrative or narrative, but let's call them big ideas. Ways of thinking that shape what humans do. And it's these big ideas that primarily give us two things. They give us meaning and they bring order to our lives. What do I mean by that? They're a, they're a means of understanding our life and ordering our life. And I'll explain how that happens in a minute. We are always engaged in a battle. And the battle is for our humanity, for what it means to be truly human. That's the primary battle. The primary battle is not against principalities and powers alone. The primary battle is about those things that dehumanize us, that make us less than God intended. And it's often these big ideas that are primarily at work in our culture and in the way we think and in the church. Please note that shape who we are, give us meaning, and actually order our lives. The enemy of our soul, if God wants us to be human, the enemy of our souls wants to dehumanize us. Does that make sense? He wants to make you less than you're intended to be. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does this verse mean? This verse means that God had a plan for what it means to be fully human. But sin dehumanizes us and God wants to restore our humanity. That's the point of the resurrection is that Jesus is restoring true humanity. And, and, and this is the whole concept that Paul picks up. Let me pick up this idea of big ideas in here. So the Apostle Paul, when writing to the Christians in Corinth, I think Hugh mentioned this fairly recently in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, we are human that's a, that's a reassuring thought, isn't it? Well, we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. And, and what, are the, what are the weapons that God has equipped us with to do? Listen to this. To knock down strongholds of human reasoning. And to destroy false arguments. I'd suggest these are the big ideas. Our battle is not... In the seen world, it's in the unseen world. And it's about human reasoning and it's about false arguments. This is a battle for the way we as humanity think. We as the church think. Big ideas, you see, let me say this again. Big ideas give us meaning and order to our lives. But not just individually. That's true collectively as well. So I think it's big ideas that invade and affect and infect the whole of the world. They literally, I think, hold our world captive. They govern, the Bible would suggest. They rule. They become what I call the faceless dictators. The Bible describes these as principalities and powers. Faceless powers that control and influence us. See, so it's ways of thinking that shape our lives and give our lives order. Let's look at this in this next slide. This might feel a little bit technical for you, but stay with me. So um, there's a great book by Philip Reef, um, which is called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern South. And he identifies three big ideas that have controlled civilization over time. These, aren't ex these are dominant ideas. It doesn't mean that they're present everywhere all of the time during this period of time, but some dominant ideas that have controlled civilization over time. We've not got time to pick any of these up, and probably neither would you want to pick all of them up. 
So I'm going to concentrate primarily on the third one, which is the age that we're in, the postmodern era. But let me briefly talk. Ancient civilization, the big ideas really were all around pagan myth. Life lived in the lap of the gods. Society was guided and explained primarily by myth and mythology. Sacred tales, celestial stories that shaped a worldview. And the supernatural was deeply embedded in the people during this period of time in civilization. And then he argues that the next period of time, again, this is, this is a dominant ideology, but not everywhere all of the time, was a modern civilization was largely informed by the Christian faith. And, uh, and the Christian faith or Judeo-Christian thinking has had a massive impact on the world. Uh, that's largely where our whole justice system in the West is shaped around Judeo-Christian values. We sometimes forget that. Uh, uh, and certainly the, the <laughs> our secularized society forgets that. It had a huge impact on the civilized world. Things like human dignity and worth came out of that whole concept from the Christian faith or Judeo-Christian values. A strong ethical code that included justice and mercy and such a critical and important thing, forgiveness, which increasingly is absent from culture and from society today. But that whole idea of forgiveness and many others. It emphasized taking personal responsibility Traditional family structures were considered to be foundational bedrock for a healthy society. And it promoted also common good, the value of collective life, living life together and having institutions that represented the collective life of people, common good and collective action. Now the big idea that's guiding our postmodern world, we're now a post-Christian world, aren't we? Lots of those values are being challenged, have been challenged, probably over the, particularly over the last 100 years, but are increasingly being challenged. So let's just look at this next slide where I'm going to talk a little bit more about the postmodern world. You just flip us to the next slide. <coughs> so forget the expressive individualism, it's a technical term. Let's call it individualism. So here are just five things that really describe, that mitigates against a common life and collective action a sense of God's purpose, not how just in my life, but held collectively together. So don't just think of these as present in our culture. I would argue they're present in the church. And they're present in the majority of Christians. They're present in my life in many ways. Do you know what I mean? And it's a, strong, it's a big idea and a big way of thinking that affects us all. Number one, independent freedom. Freedom ultimately is every individual doing what's right for them. Have you heard that sort of thought process? We've, we've, we've even probably embraced that to some degree ourselves. Uh, I don't have to do what I don't want to do. You know. And here's a big one. Be true to yourself. I mean, they sort of seem to carry a little ring of truth, don't they? But let me tell you, this is a complete lie. We need to really try and get our heads around this this morning, if you will, and for those of you that are online. Individual pursuit. This is a world of private profit and personal gain. I can be whoever I want to be. Uh, it's, an, it's an enticing idea. It's an enticing big idea. Ultimately, you know, I just have to look after my own interests. I'd suggest that this is embedded in the way, predominantly in the West, but way the world thinks in an increasing fashion. Self-reliance. Um, this is about finding identities separately from anyone else. You be you. 
You just be you. You know. Follow your heart. That's a bit of guidance. I'm glad the Lord says, don't follow your heart. (laughs) Because I'd end up in some places that I wouldn't want to be. Do you know what I mean? Follow your heart. Find yourself. Personal autonomy. So this is about being your own person. Living life free from external forces or influence. What this ultimately means is you're accountable to one person and that's to yourself. Or she you say, I'm like, well, none of this, I'm not sure this applies to me. Dig a bit deeper because I think you'll find it will. Privacy. This is the world of private ownership. My time. My time. My space. My money. My family. And ultimately my life has nothing to do with you. I've had that said to me sometimes when you're trying to offer support and guidance. Really, it's none of your business, Adrian. Uh, that's an, uh, I hope that person's not present, but that's an anti-biblical... That's, that's a, yeah, I say these things and everybody says to me afterwards, Adrian, that was really dodgy. But, but it's true, isn't it? It's an anti-biblical concept. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are. You see? Is it my money? No. Tim Murray talked about this. It's our money. My money is our money that God has given me stewardship over. It's really challenging, isn't it? Well, except for my money, which is my money, of course. <laughs> so this, this big idea is the one that gives meaning and order to our lives. Now, let me try, you, you know, you might say you're slightly barking mad, Adrian, I'm not quite sure I agree with you. So what I'm going to do, or what I plan to do, is I was going to illustrate the power of this current worldview. Um, and uh, how it influences everything with the soundtrack, the 2015 soundtrack from Frozen called Let It Go, which my two grandkids can almost sing off pat, which is absolutely... And it's lovely to hear them sing it, but, but, but the words are um, archetypal narrative, uh, the archetypal narrative that guides our lives. And um, so according to Elsa, true freedom is letting go. Letting go, let it go, let it go. I can't hold back anymore. Let it go, let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. It, thing is, we might even be a bit convinced about the line. Do you know what I mean? It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen to this. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. So here's a big idea. Here's the big idea of individualism. Here's the big idea that governs the way the majority of the world think. Here's the big idea that governs our economy. Here's the big idea that that governs our education system. Here's the big idea that governs our social care. Here's the big idea that governs all things. And the big idea is this. Freedom equals no rules, no boundaries. You need to break free. This is the governing big idea that controls the way we think. The big idea of individualism is summed up in Elsa. She is what technically is described as the autonomous self. I'm going to slam the door. I don't really care what you think. I'm just going to be me. This is a destructive ideology that is taking our world apart. 
at primary levels and something we need to change. My, me, my, I rule. The big idea, the meta-narrative excludes any sense of connection to a world beyond the individual. There's no room for us or we. And this way of thinking, this big idea of individualism that drives our world today has a long-term destructive impact. As I've said already, the effects of fat in life, I think both at a macro and a micro level, I wish I had more time to talk about some of those things, but at a macro level, this story shapes a global economy. Progress is primarily about private profit and personal gain. The whole economic model is not set up for communal or collective universal benefit. It's for private profit and individual wealth creation. That's the truth. That's the world we live in. The future of our world hangs in the balance and we couldn't care our monkeys. Feel free to disagree with my analysis if you want to. But here we go. So... Gosh, that leaves us without any hope, surely, Adrian. Is this really how bad it is? I think the gospel, on our next slide, the gospel is at its very core absolutely the opposite. It is an antithesis of individualism. The big idea behind the gospel is this, that Jesus literally gives himself up, pours himself out, for you and for me and for humanity as a whole. He doesn't slam a door, he opens a door. And listen, this is a man who obeys the rules, not breaks the rules. Read Philippians chapter 2. Obedience, ah, a word that we hate in our postmodern world. The idea of obey. We think of an oppressor. Jesus is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what does he do? He secures a different future for humankind. He takes the dehumanizing principalities and powers and defeats them and says, I invite you to live the same life that I have shown you, pouring out your life for others. You do not exist for yourself. You exist for others. This is an amazing message that ultimately will liberate us as human beings. And if we were to embrace this as an ideology, release and rehumanize the whole of humanity. Life, according to Christ, means swimming against the prevailing tide. So, how do we do that? And my time is running out. How do we do that? Well, if it's true that big ideas give us meaning and they order our lives. <coughs> I'm just going to quickly talk about one example uh, of this big idea of the gospel. This big idea of Jesus gives you meaning and challenges you about how you order your life. By you, I don't mean you with me stood in the pulpit. I mean, I mean us. Do you know what I mean? I, me, you, together. Uh, what we're going to do later in the series is pick up this series in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is stunning and full of examples of this whole idea of a life that's held collectively. It is, it is beautiful, and we're going to open that up in the weeks that lie ahead. But let me just talk about this thing to begin with. Perhaps you could give us the next slide, Dave. I don't know about you, but the more I read, and, and I've taken to reading a lot about culture, and uh, some of the things that are happening in our world currently, uh, which is uh, absolutely fascinating, but I would say that we live in an era that's marked by an identity crisis. Would you agree with me? 
Uh, th there is a major identity crisis period. Uh, young people and young adults in particular are victims of this crisis, I think. Um, the younger generation in particular are falling foul of a primary lie. And that is that only they as individuals can determine who they are. And this places far too much responsibility on the life of a young person. And it's destroying their mental health. And if only I had time, I could talk to you about how it's destroying on people's mental health. But I've just read a good book. And if you're the mother of a teenage daughter or pubescent daughter, you know, 12 to 15, I'd highly recommend the book. It's not written by a Christian. It's written by Abigail Schreier. And it's called Irreversible Damage, where she unpacks a trend in America that's sweeping the whole of the United States. And it's transgenderism. Not got time to talk about it, because neither do I want to talk uh, uh, too briefly about it because uh, it can come across as sounding aggressive and that's not my intention at all. So she's not a believer but writes about her concern for a whole generation of young women who are identifying as transgender and because the culture is an aff it has affirming systems, medical affirming systems, means that a 12-year-old can get access to testosterone and even other medical interventions without their parents' consent. So you've got 15-year-olds having their breasts removed with no consent from their parents. This is a horror. It's dehumanizing a generation. I am hugely sympathetic on the other end with genuine gender dysphoria. But this isn't gender dysphoria. She describes a pandemic that's affecting our world, driven by the internet. You've got to read the book. If you've got a young daughter or a granddaughter of that age, read the book. You see... There's a lie, and the lie is for these young girls, that they as individuals are going to determine their identity. If I'm a girl and I say I'm a boy, I'm a boy. Don't challenge me, because that's what I feel. But that's the sort of longer-term outcome of the trajectory of individualism. Anyway, the gospel offers an alternative way of thinking. And here, and I'm, somebody's going to wave at me soon, because I think I've overdone my time. But let's go on to this next one. So how do we deal with some of that? I think the gospel gives us great hope in terms of meaning, particularly in the area of identity. Who am I? The Bible teaches that the answer to this question about meaning and identity can only truly be answered in relationship to others. This is the truth, you see. My identity is inseparably connected to our identity. It's a bit of a difficult one to get your head around on a Sunday morning at 11.32, isn't it? But try, try. My identity is inseparably connected to our identity. Our you can only be fully known in the context of us. Let me give you two examples of this. Number one, for thousands of years in ancient Jewish and Hebraic thought, the individual, listen to this, is written by a rabbi, the individual is not recognized as having an individual existence, an independent existence. Let me just say that again. This is accepted in Jewish thought and has been for thousands of years. Six, eight thousand years. The individual is not recognized as having an independent existence, but is described as a limb of Israel. And you sort of go, that's a little bit, taking it a little bit too far. But let me now take a passage from the Bible. A limb of Israel. Does that ring any bells in Paul's teaching? Have you all gone to sleep? Was it that bad? <laughs> The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Paul picks up this metaphor. I think he's picking up his Jewish heritage. That's what he's doing. He's picking up 
6,000 years of common understanding of the nature of God. That's what he's doing. He picks up this idea of the body of Christ and he says, and, and his overarching point, this metaphor's overarching point or theme is, uh, uh, what is it that you, that, that you have to have a place to belong, a community to connect to in order for your life to have meaning? In order for your life to have meaning, you have to have a place to belong, a community to connect to. Otherwise, your life has less meaning than God intended. You can't exist as an autonomous finger because the very identity of finger is related to what? The hand, and the hand is related to what? The, the arm. The bo- I know it sounds a bit simple. I don't want to be simple or treat you like idiots, but, but this primarily has not worked into the soil of our lives. So... So our identity, your identity, who you truly are, who God has called you to be, all that God has destined for you as an individual, as a person, can never reach its total climax or fulfillment when you live on your own in isolation as an individual. You're meant at a primary level to connect to a corporate identity your individual identity is inextricably connected to a corporate identity. You'll never truly be the person. You can be if you live in isolation. Again, my comments about isolation, people often misinterpret. I'm obviously not talking about the virus. I'm talking about the way we live our lives. Does that make sense? So lastly, and I will start with, so if, if that's about meaning, the fullness of the meaning for us in terms of who we are comes from being connected it leaves us with some, some questions, doesn't it? How do we order our lives? So it gives us meaning, that's the meaning, but how do we order our lives? And for this, I thought I'd just say a few things that aren't on the slide because I hadn't decided what to say until this morning because I, I sort of thought, how do I make this a little bit more easy to understand? If the gospel gives meaning to our lives, it also gives us order. So here are two questions. They sound simple. But they aren't. I wish I could tell you to do something, but I think the prevailing big idea is so big that it's doubtful that even if I ask you to do something, you do it. Because we don't like doing what other people ask us to do. You know, at a primary psychological level, we prefer to do what we want to do. So number one, let's talk about order. Ordering our time. Have you organised your diary to make sure you connect with others outside your immediate family? So you can say, oh, I spend lots of time with my family. One of the things that others might observe is that family can have, if you're not careful, quite an idolatrous status in our world as well. But, so I'm talking about outside your family. Though if you don't connect with your family, that might be a good starting point. <laughs> have you organised your diary to make sure you're connected with others outside your immediate family? Why do I say diary? Because time's a gift. And though it's a gift, God calls us to steward our time like he does call us to steward our money. And therefore intentional connectivity requires an appointment in the diary, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Then lastly this, and with this I'll finish. Ordering our space. What do I mean by space? There's lots of different spaces we could talk about, but Elsa advocates managing her own space. I'm going to slam the door. This is my space. They're my feelings. They're my emotions. Nothing to do with you. I'm going to isolate myself. So... Elsa advocates slamming the door. I'd suggest to you the gospel 
is the absolute opposite. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Uh, uh, there's a door to be opened, not to be shut. So um, one of the ways that we behave in, 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 when this uh, mindset is in our lives is we tend to shut people out. So this is my next question. Who are you opening a door to? Who are you opening a door to? Okay. Is that clear enough, that question, who are you opening a door to? You know, sort of go, some people go, what's he on about? But, you know, invite somebody into your life. Maybe disclose a little bit about yourself that you've never disclosed before, you know. Create, even if you can't feel connected to something bigger than one person, get connected to another person that isn't your spouse or a member of your immediate family. Or even to more would be my suggestion. And, and take the initiative if you can. You know, is that okay? So I hope that's not too complicated. I hope that that sets the scene. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks on a Sunday morning is to talk about the glorious nature of a common life. A life that we hold together and how you can come into the fullness of who God has called you to be. We're going to do it in all sorts of different ways, but primarily through the Old Testament. And I might even write a bit about this. So, My next session's on communal confession. You know, confession was never, ever meant to be just between you and God. Anyway, I'll shut up because I've, I'm, I'm overrunning Vanessa, aren't I? So it'll be a great series. Father, we give you what's been said this morning, and we humbly ask you to help us to work your word into the soil of our lives that your word might bear fruit in the way our lives take on new meaning and a different shape and different order in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website, amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.